Welcome to the Doghouse. I'm Diana. And I'm David. It's Riverdale Season 5, Episode 14, Chapter 90, The Night Gallery. Cheryl enlists the help of Archie, Kevin, Fangs, and Reggie after she learned there is palladium underneath her maple groves. Meanwhile, Betty and Alice confront a trucker who may have been involved in Polly's disappearance. Elsewhere, Jughead and Archie each confront events from their past. So we got the Halloween episode, like... A month and a half early. <laughs> it's in the style that they just the man in black, and then I, I, I had it up before, but I can't remember the other one that they did where they did like the three stories that were isolated, which is is good. It's in the past has been used to be like, hey, this is what's going on with this person that we need to hyper focus on, but it's not enough to carry an entire episode. So we're gonna do that here, and that was fine. Like I, it's been effective in the past. In terms of Archie and Betty, it was really effective here. It's like, okay, let's spend 15 full minutes with each one of these, and that's it. The Jughead part of the story was just so lame <laughs> that I was annoyed by it, but I'm glad we didn't get Veronica crap. Um, To be honest, I felt this episode was kind of rushed. I kind of thought we had more than we needed in story-wise. To try to tell in such a quick time, especially with Archie's story, the way they just ran through that. I don't know, man. Something about this this episode felt real like push through it as fast as we possibly can. The thing is with the Archie stuff is imagine talking about all that for an entire episode and that being the only thing we do for an entire episode. That would have been torture and they would not have done a good job. So I'm glad we get quickly to the meat of what we need to do, which is we need to escalate him confronting his very real PTSD, which is what they did. I don't like how they ended it with him. No. But I like how we went, oh, he has buried so much for so long that now he's now that he's opened the door, it's all showing up, which is a real thing that can happen with therapy, which is also a reason why so many people try to avoid it because they don't want that very thing to happen. Yeah. To me, it's not that you need a whole episode of this, but I would have preferred a half and half and have this be half an episode where we gave it a little more room to breathe because the story just felt so ridiculous in the moment. I was fine with it because the thing is, we're not done with it. Mm. We are not done with it. Not with his story for sure. No. So I'm fine with this. We have this this concentrated section where we escalated this part of the issue because that's the part that needs to be escalated. Otherwise, we're talking they're going to take five episodes for us to get to the point where he has a violent outburst. No. I mean, to be fair, we've been building up to this for a very long time. Maybe it's just that we didn't need the Jughead explanation if it was going to be this. The Jughead explanation is horrible. Did we did we need to go through all that for Jughead to explain how he wound up where he was? No, it was just so convoluted. Like the whole Rat King Raby things was just absurd. Everything we know about Jughead, it makes sense for him. Like him falling into uh, a, going on a bender and and falling into literally a pit of despair and just being like, yeah, I'll live down in the sewer. I'll just live down here. And like being that low so that that's just fine with him. He he lived in a closet at school. So like that's not a stretch for him. The hallucinating with the rats and whatnot was just an element that we didn't need. And it's all to service this point of him realizing that he has made himself alone and that he's an alcoholic. And I appreciate that they named his problem. Mm-hmm. He is an alcoholic. I appreciate that. And I appreciate they show it, show him going to AA, but he also needs real therapy. So it's it's just very convoluted. And that's the piece that felt so rushed because I don't think they really had a plan. And I don't think it's going to service this whole Mothman mystery crap. So it's all been for nothing. We explain the Mothman mystery now. We know what that is. Well, we know what it is, but it's not interesting. No, but was it ever going to be interesting? There was potential. (laughs) Well, welcome to Riverdale. Yeah. (laughs) And and the Betty of it all is just like, yeah, that makes sense. 
Oh, that all tracks. For yeah, sure. Like, yeah, this tracks. This makes total sense. So let's get into our framework for this episode is Minerva shows up to Thornhill because Cheryl has made some paintings. She's calling her Min Min and she's very concerned. She's like, I've already told the auction house where I am. So if you're thinking of sacrificing me to your crimson gods, don't. Um, <laughs> Cheryl makes that other oh, goddesses comment and. So, like, she takes her into her night gallery, if you will, which I don't have a problem with this framework that makes a bit of sense. I've never seen the show Night Gallery. I know about the show. It was a late 60s Twilight Zone type show that Mm -hmm. I think Rod Serling co-created as well. And I don't know if this was the same framework, but it's, it's definitely pulling those vibes of, like, moral irony story. Buried Tales from the Crypt type thing. Yes. Fine. Okay. What grift is Cheryl going to run on Min Min now? Whatever. <laughs> do we care about this framing at all? Like, or do we hate it? Do we don't care? <laughs> I, I don't care, but it's fine. Like, yeah. Okay. You need to give Cheryl something to do in this episode. Here we go. All right. Fine. So she's done some paintings that are very good. They're compared to Goya, Dolly, and Bacon. But then... Minman asks, explain this one. And it's a painting of Archie as a shirtless miner. <laughs> I gotta say, the paintings are badass. They're okay. They're pretty cool. The Jughead one is the best one. The Jughead one is the best one. Betty's is pretty good. Too. Betty's is pretty good because it she does look frightening. Archie's is just kind of like, yeah, I recognize those abs anywhere. <laughs> it's just... There's not enough darkness to that one that there should be. Yeah. But Cheryl doesn't know about his struggles, so... She really doesn't, but uh, it's about a hero haunted by his past and plagued by the trauma of his present. It's just, it's very convoluted. So we we start the Archie section with him at therapy, which is good. He's explaining what's going on. She offers medication. He says, no, no, no pills, which again, that's fair, fine. But then we get the thing that I was yelling about. We find out that Bingo was Private Butler. We called him Bingo. Yes, we should have had that last week. But yeah, I'm I'm so happy they explained it. They explained <laughs> it. Bingo has a real name. That's <laughs> important. Then the doctor suggests EMDR as a therapy, which is okay, great. It's going to be very effective. But this is really, really informal. Leave it to Riverdale to not like actually go through real therapeutic ideas of anything. <laughs> There's a lovely uh, camera trick where they do the zoom in on KJ as he's starting. He's really divulging into this story, uh, which I love. And if you didn't know this beforehand, Machinamic Mama Coop directed this episode. <laughs> uh, so we cut back to the Andrews house and Archie is telling Eric about how much he liked Dr. Winters. She's doing great. Frank asks if Eric is doing EMDR and he's like, no, I'm I'm doing a bunch of meds and Archie's concerned about side effects and Eric's like, nothing too serious. And then Cheryl bursts in. <laughs> Out of nowhere. And she's like, okay, I've only recently learned what everyone else in this town seems to have known for weeks, if not months. <laughs> and of course, she's talking about the platinum. I do kind of like that call out. That's like, how could this have been going on for this long without you finding out about it, Cheryl? Well, I mean, logistically, a bunch of shit is going on in Cheryl's life. But it's on her property and it's on the Maple Groves. And with if she is that invested in this being her home and her family legacy and those fucking Maple Groves, she should have known about someone else in the family line knew about that. Mm, isolated from the world. Eh, whatever. So she needs, she thought of Andrew's construction and Archie's like, I don't have any experience to wish. This is a lovely call out. Archie, you've been a soldier, a fireman, a football coach, a teacher, and a bounty hunter. Is a minor so far outside your purview? <laughs> That's our writer. That's our writer. That's our writer. I was like, correct. And Frank says, hey, if it's opening an existing mine that's doable, I have some experience from back in Alaska. Okay, I appreciate that. Hey, 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 here's the thing. 
oftentimes we would just cut to them all mining away and we were all just doing great. And Frank just knows shit. I appreciate they gave us a line that told us that the adultiest adult in the room, which is Frank now, yeah, gets the one line that said that gives him some expertise. Which is fine, but like they do this with Frank constantly. Frank knows about mining now. <laughs> but it, here's the thing, when they've done it with Frank, it makes sense. So I'm not mad about it. I don't know. We are we are rapidly heading to jump the shark territory for Frank at some point. Oh. If rogue mercenary that's, wasn't already that's, that's there. when we did. That's when we did. This is just ridiculous. Just him showing up because dad's dead is a huge no. <laughs> no. No, thank you. So we cut to them all, you know, all the boys are there at the mine and they're all in these minor uniforms and uh, they're ready to go. Reggie can smell the palladium from here. <laughs> Cheryl wants to pray before they go in. Fangs is like, I'm I'm not very religious. To which Kevin says, have an open mind. This is Kevin scheming. Kevin is fucking scheming. I promise you. <sighs> He's fucking scheming. God damn this show. It gives Kevin something to do. So at least there's that. Uh, no, <laughs> I don't. I don't like it. <laughs> I don't like it either. But I, you know what I love? I love it after they're done with the prayer and they're going in. Reggie smiles at Nana Rose. <laughs> it's pretty cute. It is very cute. Very uh, flirtatious. I'm very into it. Very Reggie. So later in the trailer, they've broken for lunch. Frank is sleeping. <laughs> and they're just chatting. But they realize Kevin's not there. And... Archie's like, no, nobody's allowed to stay in the mine by themselves, which is good because it's not safe. Yep. And then we get this really, a really awesome uh, steady cam shot where the steady cam is on KJ of him running through the mine looking for Kevin. Archie's freaking out um, and he starts to have a bad flashback and he starts crawling on the ground. But then he finds Kevin and Kevin has found a really big uh, rock of palladium. Oh. So they take it to Cheryl and Cheryl's like, great. I'd suggest a celebratory toast, but um, I have to get right back to it. <laughs> now get to fucking work. Basically. She's the worst. <laughs> she, she's awful, but when is she not awful? Yeah. We go back to therapy and this time Archie asks about meds. Mm-hmm. He's like, I got a crew waiting for me and I can't get squirrely on them. So he asks, like, what exactly would you give me? And she just opens her drawer and hands him a bottle of meds. This would not happen. A doctor might give you a sample packet along yes. with your prescription to be like, hey, this is what I'm going to prescribe you. Here's like a seven day supply. Try it out. See if you like it. If you feel like it's going to be OK for you, fill the prescription. Yeah. They would not hand you a bottle. <laughs> no. So we cut to another lunch break with the boys. This time, Reggie is asking about the Mothman, which, okay, great. Now other people besides Jughead are talking about Mothman. And Fang says that he's heard stuff from some truckers. <laughs> eh, yeah. He turns, on, he turns on his helmet light and starts going full ghost story with it. It's like they have uh, red eyes that grab as much light as they can and they're cannibalistic, which is kind of fun. Then we go back into the mine and we see, you know, we see Reggie mining looking really hot. And Archie all of a sudden hears cries for help. He thinks it's Eric. And when he finds Eric and he turns Eric around in the mine, he's a mothman. So then Archie goes to the trailer and he is freaking out. He is yelling. He's saying someone's out to get me. You know, someone's messing with my head. And Frank's trying to calm him down. And then. Archie goes to his therapist's office and he burst in on a session. He's yelling at her like you gave me hallucinogenics, LSD. Who put you up to this? Uh, let me guess. It's Hiram Lodge, to which the therapist says the rum maker. <laughs> He's been the rum maker since season three. So like, what the fuck is this bullshit? It's a very good indication that she does not know who Hiram Lodge is. Actually, that was season four, but that petered out so quickly. Who cares? Yes, yeah. it's, it's one of those big indications of... Hiram has left that long in the past. <laughs> like, he's not as important as you think he is. So she's yelling, you need to leave. And so finally her patient gets up and is like, uh, you heard the doc. And so Archie leaves. And then he goes back home and he's yelling at 
Eric. He's like, you've got, you've got to stop seeing her. You can't take those meds anymore. And Eric's just like, no, I'm not going to stop seeing her. I'm not going to stop taking these meds. And I don't think you should either. You got a lot of baggage to deal with more than you let on. Losing that many men, that's not easy. And I'm surprised it didn't break you. So like what I love is that we've had so much focus on Eric. But what we've slowly realized is that Archie, we always knew Archie has had a ton of issues because we've seen him. But now I do love this is that they're revealing stuff to us through the other characters. But they're instead of showing it all to us and then talking about it seasons later. This is like the exact opposite of what they've been doing for so long. And I love it because it's wonderful character development. Yep. So, yeah, it's great. Poor Archie. So the next day we're at the trailer and Frank comes in and says, hey, me and the boys talked and we think you should take the day off and rest. And Archie's like, I'm fine. I stopped taking the meds. I should be out of my system. Frank's like, you shouldn't go underground, which is fair. Like, you're not doing well. You need at least a day, my good man. <laughs> you you need time. And so, like, Archie's just like, no. And Frank's like, okay, fine. You stay up here and just do payroll. All right, cool. We'll, we'll see you at lunch. So then later, Archie's tending the fire. <laughs> I guess they're they're grilling up food at the at the place. They're, they're being it's like they're camping. Okay, cool, whatever. Whatever. Uh, it's it's probably too far to like order out lunch. Fine. And then he hears a dog barking and he hears yelling and something's going on in the mine. So he goes in the mine and everyone seems to have lost it. Kevin is going. He loves me. He loves me not. Fangs is singing Tommy Knocker singing in my head. It's yeah. And then he finds Reggie and Reggie's yelling monsters. And so he's able to shake Reggie out of it for a minute. It's like get Fangs and Kevin out of here. And then he finds Eric and Eric is, you know, he's reliving uh, wartime. He's calling Archie the devil or the devil. Frank finds him because Frank is also now trying to calm down Eric. And finally, Archie just knocks Eric out and is like, what's going on? What's going on? It's gas. Get everybody out of here now. So. Then we cut directly to Thornhill. And Cheryl's like, uh, why have we stopped mining? Fuck you, Cheryl. So like, what happened? I'm like, okay, hey, it's not safe. We think it's carbon monoxide, an odorless gas. You breathe too much of it, causes hallucinations, violent outbursts. We've all been experiencing it for greater or less degrees. To which she's just like, that's annoying. How do we fix it? <laughs> And Archie is annoyed here. It's like, oh, you don't give two fucks about us. Great. Yeah. Like, well, we could hook up a pump to make sure there's fresh air. Yes, do that. In the meantime, we'll order a flock of canaries. Get back to digging ASAP. Okay, fuck you, Cheryl. If Cheryl is paying you for a service, she she expects you to provide that service as expeditiously as possible. She wants the service and she wants it now. Yep. All right. She is that bitch. So... Then Archie goes back to the therapist, Dr. Winters, and she's like, why are you here? She's like, please. It turns out I was suffering the effects of carbon monoxide poisoning, and I'm sorry. Please don't cut me loose. I need your help. I haven't told you this, but a lot of men died under my command, and at first I started seeing one of them, but now, and then this is where they did a great camera switch. We see behind the dock, and we do the same camera um, zoom in, pull out thing, where we see now I'm seeing all of them and we see a, a, a larger group of wounded soldiers behind her and the doc says i'm generally scared to be alone with you after how you came in here last time which is fair and totally valid yeah and if you're truly experiencing such an extreme level of hallucination then i don't think it's safe for you to be around anyone right now Riverdale. Uh... okay there's a lot to unpack there one we got through all of that before we got the title card. That's insane. <laughs> but also, great. Like, again, I like how it got escalated so quickly. The doc is 100% right that I don't feel safe around you. And if you're experiencing that extreme of hallucination, you're not safe right now. Those are, those are fair statements. For it to be left with you can't be around anyone right now is really irresponsible of this show. Because all the doc needed to say is, I think we need we need to I don't want them to put him in a facility, but that's essentially what she's saying. The better way to say it, and especially with a more therapeutic eye, because 
even the way that she phrases, I don't feel safe around you, which is absolutely true. Mm -hmm. Again, I'm not going to hold the doctor not valid. There's a part of me that goes, if you're having that conversation, you're not letting him in the office. You're having this conversation over the phone. Well, it's that or there's somebody else there as well. Yeah. Like there's something like that. Something. And it probably isn't you need to go to a facility or some something, but they needed to be the question is like, if you're having this extreme of hallucinations, she needs to ask him, do you feel safe around anyone right now? Because if it had been posed as a question to Archie to ponder, then I wouldn't have been as annoyed about it. Because basically what she's just said is you're having this problem. You're not okay. You, you shouldn't be around anybody. Well, then what's he supposed to do? I, I can't help you. No, 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 no. You not being able to help him because he has posed a threat to you is valid and fair. But you not saying, I'm going to remit you to the care of this doctor who's right here, who has more experiences with these types of issues, or I'm going to refer you to this facility, I would suggest you check yourself in for a period of time. Because I think, based on what you said, this is not safe. Then it would have been okay, because then at least we know this doctor has told Archie what to do in order to be safer, which is really important when someone's in this type of crisis. We're, we're flirting the line with basically telling him either we're going to involuntarily commit you or we're going to kick you to the curb, one or the other. And here's the thing, the show might do that for a plot point, which I still hate. Mm-hmm. They might do that. I don't want, the only reason I don't want us to go to a facility is because we've done it before and we did it so badly. Yeah, no, 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 no. Like, I don't, I don't want us to do it and I don't, I don't expect them to do this well. No. But this was an opportunity to handle this really well, and they totally fucked it up. Yeah. The only way I would be okay with a facility is that the next episode is like three weeks later. Archie went for a couple of weeks and got some got some good therapy, and now he's back and feeling better and starting to work on himself. <sighs> well, they're not going to do that. No. Because then, at least if she has made the suggestion, and then the next episode, it's Later, it's not addressed when it's like, no, I was given this advice, but that scared me more than my hallucinations or whatever. And and it became the thing that spurned him on in a different way to seek care. Okay, fine. But we should have left this part of the story with a suggestion of what Archie's options are for dealing with this issue. Mm -hmm. Because that's what they didn't do. We just told us Archie's not okay. Fuck, no, fuck, we knew that. <laughs> now we just know how seriously not okay he is. And the person that you put in his life to help to help him isn't going to do that now. That's a problem. Because it's also a problem if she continues to be his doctor, because that's not great either. And after one goddamn episode. Yeah, yeah, it's a lot. So now we move on to Betty. So we start at the night gallery. And, you know, Minerva sees this different painting and it's like your subject matter somehow even more haunted than before. To which Cheryl says, thank you. I was inspired by my poor dear cousin wrestling with the question, who is the true monster? The ghoul our girl is hunting or the girl herself? Which I do love. Yeah. And the thing I did really like about this whole piece is that one of the questions that has been posed over and over again about Betty, is she a villain? Yeah. And here we see that she's, we, you know, we've had the dark Betty conversation and, you know, she's had that boyfriend, Glenn, who was studying her. So like, this is a very real thing. This is something that Betty herself is clearly asking as well. Yeah. Because she's capable of this. And I love it. I really do. I mean, this all makes sense for the trajectory that they've got Betty on. And so I'm fine with it. I'm fine with it. We pick up right after she knocked out that trucker. We're at Pops with Tabitha. And Tabitha's like, hey, um, are you sure we shouldn't hand him over to the proper authorities? Which Betty's like, if we do that, I get cut out of the investigation. Which you should be, Betty. You should not be investigating your sister's murder. Nope. It's a it's a real bad plan. This is why they don't allow shit like that. Yeah. Like, they, well, 
it still happens, but they really try. <laughs> Especially in the goddamn FBI. The FBI. They have enough resources where they would be able to avoid this conflict. So Betty's just like, I could get that information out of him. It's what I do. No, it's fucking not. <laughs> but she tells Tabitha it's time for her to bow out and just let her handle this. To which Tabitha's like, all right, but if at any point you need backup, I'm here. I don't want any other girls dying. And that includes you. Okay, fair. Like, I do appreciate Betty's like, you need to go because this could get not great. I think Tabitha's like, well, okay, I guess, but you be safe. And it's like, oh, honey, you don't know what she's talking about. Mm-hmm. Lest we forget, Betty's buried people. Yeah. How many of you have buried a dead body? <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, that was that was one of their best episodes. It really was fabulous, which was also directed by Machen Amick. The directing is quite good in this episode. Of course it is. Well, because it's all these camera tricks are effective. So, like, I mean, I have to give a lot of credit to Machen Amick. She's done a fabulous job with the with the episode she's, she's had. So we cut to the trucker dude is tied up in the Riverdale High School auto shop. <laughs> okay. And Betty's like, hi, I'm Betty. What's your name? Martin. No, it's not. That's not your real name. That's the name on the driver's license you've been carrying around. But the real Martin Tucker, Martin tr- Martin the trucker, <laughs> Boo. died years ago. And so like she says, I'm with the FBI. And so he's like, um, if I'm with the FBI, why am I in some shop class instead of jail? I want a phone call. I'm a citizen of the United States. Which she says, uh, you're not in the United States anymore. You're in Riverdale. <laughs> which is so which is such a bizarre fucking thing to say it's not true when they decommissioned the town of riverdale it didn't magically become international waters yeah (laughs) you don't cease to be a u.s citizen in riverdale it's an unoccupied property of the state of new york like fuck you betty (laughs) yeah and so like they're they go back a little bit back and forth and so he's not gonna give her anything and so she's like, okay, maybe next time we can have a more fruitful conversation. And if not, I guess I'll have to get more creative. So she leaves and goes and gets the photos of the missing girls, including Polly. So then she goes back and she starts showing them to the guys like, this is Mary Catherine Avery, blah, blah. This is Nicole Houston. This is Polly. And when she shows Polly, she gives it away. Essentially, he can tell that's your sister. Like he's not an idiot. Between that and the fact that he's playing his card on the on the fact that he already knows about this this agent named Betty Cooper. Yeah, he already knows there's an, there's an agent out, and she just, or just she already said that she's with the FBI. Like Betty is an idiot, which I also like. Yeah, one of the things I like about this is that it's sh- up until now in this show, Betty is just she's Betty Drew. So she's just this great detective. So then she goes in the FBI. Great, makes sense. She's the FBI training program. She gets fucking caught by a killer and held captive for two weeks because that's how fucking bad you got at your job. You got too big for your britches. And now she's still doing the same shit. And it's not it's still fucking her over. I like this. I don't even know that it's necessarily she's bad at her job because she clearly has the instincts to pursue investigations and find people like Mm -hmm. she's shown that she's still got all of those things. But the problem she has is all of that anger, all of that resentment, and now piled on top of trauma, she she feels like any second wasted in thought or rumination means not finding the killer, which is like, yeah, but you got to use your head, Betty. <laughs> you have to be smart. Exactly. And she's not. She's not smart. So she, is, she shows another picture, and then he's like, oh, yeah, uh, I never forget a face that pretty. Ugh. And it's like, oh, buried by this tree. You just got to dig. And so we, while he's saying this, we see Betty going to that place and digging something up. And then when she comes back, he goes, oh, did you find her? She's a real bitch, isn't she? So she smacks him. Those are dog bones, you psychopath. That's a good line. <laughs> great. Great. She's a real bitch, isn't she? That's and that it's just great. It's the whole the exchange is fabulous, well played. It's very good Silence of the Lamb style writing right there. Oh yeah. He's like, oh yeah, that's where I buried my dog after she passed away. Poor little thing. Sorry about the confusion, Agent Cooper. How do you know my name? 
there's been stories up and down the highway about some crazy rogue FBI agent looking for her sister. Oh, fun. So she like, like he already knew who you were. Like the second you talked to him before you got in the truck, he knew who the fuck you were. Not before he got in the truck, but the second that he wakes up and is tied up in, in a basement, he knows. No, I think he knew before. It's possible too. Uh, I, we'll, we'll get into. I got some theories. Oh, you have theories? I have theories. I haven't been doing a ton of theorizing. Well, I have been theorizing, but not a ton of predictions because this this season we've done, been doing so many different things. And really, it's been fun to maybe this will happen, maybe this will happen. But it's just you know, it's it's been really hard to. <sighs> it's also the third episode back from a. Four month break. <laughs> I mean, it's hard. It's hard to be accurate about anything given this season, given how this season is set up. We did a seven year time jump. Like, yeah, it could have been any fucking thing. <laughs> I mean, for all we know, Veronica could have been a pop star. What the fuck ever. But I, I, I do have I have a little. I'm a little theorizing. No, I, I do have to ask. Hmm. Is it bunnies? It's always bunnies. Okay, it's always bunnies. So she starts asking, "Where's Polly?" And the guy is just like, if I knew and I told you, you'd be like every other woman casting me aside after getting what you want. Oh, good. He's an incel. Okay, great. And so then Betty's like, fine, let's talk about something else. Why are you doing this? He's like, I, I like, I wanted to see how it would feel. It feels no different than hunting with my family. And Betty's like, no, these are people. They're human beings. No, they're just prey. That's how I see it. Okay, great. Perfect psychopath answer. But also, what the fuck, Betty? You knew this about serial killers when you were hunting down your goddamn father. Like, like you've, you've been studying them. You knew this is what they were doing. She's, she's, she thinks she's being smart by trying to get the motivation so he, she can track what he's been doing. She's utterly flustered. She is. And has no clue where she's going. <laughs> yeah. So we cut to the Cooper house and Alice is doing a needlepoint of the twins. <laughs> <laughs> okay. okay. So Betty's like, hey, I've caught this guy. Serial killers dehumanize their victims before killing them. It's risky, mom. But I believe if he saw you, a grieving mom, and learned about Polly as a human being, he might confess. What? This is so fucking dangerous and stupid. In all caps. So she thinks traumatizing her mother is going to get a confession from a serial killer. I mean, to be fair, Alice is just as traumatized as Betty. So like this, like, here's the thing. This tracks. <laughs> this totally tracks for both of them it's a desperation move from both and the only reason alice is willing to do it is because what the fuck do i have to lose so alice goes she's like yeah i'm gonna do this and they go and she has pictures of polly and she starts talking about her blah 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 and martin the trucker we don't have a better name for him he okay this guy was great as an actor because he played all the notes he's he's doing a great job he did a great job he's like your daughter your, your daughter? She squealed like a pig when I slit her throat. Alice beats the shit out of him. Alice starts beating the shit out of him, and Betty pulls him off. They're back at the Cooper house. Alice is icing her hand. And Betty's, like, talking out loud. Maybe if we do this, maybe if we actually thought he was going to die, blah, blah, And Alice's just like, why don't you just kill him, Betty? That scumbag killed my daughter. And Betty's like, that's not going to make you feel better. Oh, it'll make me feel better knowing that my daughter's killer's dead. So do it, Betty. As your mother, I give you permission. Well, <laughs> therapy for everybody. You know what, though? In that moment, I actually have a whole lot more respect for Alice than Betty, because in that moment, Alice is being perfectly honest. Whether Betty sure. goes through with it or not, Alice is just being completely 100% honest. Clearly, this dude is not going to give you fucking anything. And if you're not going to try to use him through the actual authorities, then just fucking kill him. Don't put anybody else through this bullshit. Yeah, Alice is just completely resolved at that point, and that's fine. Like, okay, cool. I was like, I I respect this. <laughs> so Betty goes back, and she's gonna she's gonna do the I'm gonna counter your psychopath, psychopath for psychopath here. Uh, I know my sister's dead. I've accepted that, so I'm asking you one more time to tell me where Polly is. And he's just like, there's no earthly reason for me to do that, which is true. He has no reason to tell her shit about book hang on to that hang on to that word earthly maybe yeah i'm curious about that so betty says okay so here's what's gonna happen next i'm not gonna kill you because i want you to suffer i'm gonna start by carving pieces off of you first i'll use a chainsaw on your feet 
I'll cut them off the ankles and then I'll cauterize the wounds and then I'll cut off your legs, the knees, cauterize the wounds and then your upper legs at the groin. And then we'll move on to your hands, sever them at the wrist. And then by that point, you might die of a heart attack, but I don't know. You seem pretty strong. And I have a couple tricks up my sleeve. And so then he starts acting like he's really afraid. And he goes, wait, okay, wait, did your sister have blue eyes and a tattoo of the infinity symbol? Did she ever go by the name Patty instead of Polly? And Betty kind of gives it away that like, yeah, like, do you remember her? To which Martin goes, not in the least. (laughs) So Betty leaves to go have a panic attack in the hallway because part of what we now see a flashback to is TPK saying almost the same thing to her while she was in the pit. First of all, plays right into the, the characterization they've made for Betty here. Sure. And it's just like, so now not only did you traumatize your mom, put her in that space, mm-hmm. but now you decided that your last, your Hail Mary was going to be to use your own horrible trauma to try to get this guy to go mm-hmm. through. And he just rubbed it in your face. Yeah. <laughs> By not only giving away that he knows who your sister was mm-hmm. and that he doesn't care. Betty knew enough to be able to find the trash bag killer to be caught by him, but she didn't know exactly who he was. No. This guy is definitely his brother or his cousin. A member of the family. A family. Or his it, it, his inverted commas brother. Sure. sure. No, like he's he knows the person who does what she just described because it's her describing this in this level of detail that makes him do what he does next. Mm. So after Bet- we get this flashback, Betty goes and grabs a chainsaw because she's like, okay, I'm going to do it. I'm going to fucking do it. And she goes back and she finds him dead. Yep. Because I guarantee he's like, I'm not going to do that. And she's, I'm not, I'm not going to give up my people who do this thing. Yeah. Because she got, she's the one who got away. Uh-huh. And he probably didn't know that it was Agent Betty Cooper who got away. That he knew enough that he's, oh, fuck, no, no, nope, nope. But if they know who the FBI agent is roaming the lonely highway and mm-hmm. it's this family of killers, oh, hell yeah, he knows that she's the one that got away. Well, the, the killer does for sure. The family may not know for certain that it was Betty, Agent Betty Cooper that got away from his pit. Hmm, I don't know. I, I feel like they're, the trash bag killer probably has a couple layers of secrecy. Boy, I don't know. I don't know. Because then you'd break them. You'd just break one of them. Well, they're all monsters, so who knows? True. Or they just do this all the time. Or they're all TBK. <sighs> no. That's, that's too complicated and stupid at this point. So Betty goes back home and Alice like, did you do it? Nope. But he did it himself. He bit off his own tongue and swallowed it and he choked to death on it. Uh, maybe he was afraid of what it was going to do to him. Or maybe he finally felt guilty about what he'd done. God, she's so bad at this. So Alice finishes it. So he takes his secrets to his graves and we're no closer to finding Polly. And so Betty says, we'll have to wait to see what Dr. Curdle's autopsy report says, which I like that she didn't say Dr. Curdle Jr. because we don't need that anymore. Dr. Curdle Sr. is long gone. Because at this point, it'd be Dr. Curdle the third. No, (laughs) Dr. Curdle Jr. would be around. I know, but it would be funny with the time jump. No, we've jumped into the third generation now. But Betty asked, do you feel better now that he's dead? I do. I think some lives were saved tonight. Do you feel better? And Betty says, yeah, but based on a few things he said, my gut's telling me that he's not the only killer. I think there may be a family of them hunting together. So that's, that is the other piece. And they go, yeah, of course, he's related to them. And a family doesn't have to be an official blood relation. But my guess is once we get that autopsy report, we're going to start getting the familial matches. We're going to find that. We're going to put it into the Ancestry.com bullshit. And, or what are, what are they going to call it? Uh, treehouse.com or some shit like that. 24 and you. Yeah, whatever bullshit off-brand they're going to give us so that she's going to find something. But you know, Which is cool because that is actually how they're finding some serial killers nowadays. That's how we found the Golden State Killer which is amazing. So I'm, I'm fine with all of that, but that's an interesting complication. The show's going to go, the hills have eyes. That's where they're headed with this. Okay. Okay. I mean, they've got mines, so why not? Yucky gross family out in the middle of the desert murdering people. Well, they came in the desert. They're in the, the mines. 
That's why they're cannibals. Wait, wait. The Mothmen are, are oh shit. Are the hills have eyes? That's what that's who they are. Yeah. That's that's a good theory. That's a real good theory. It's not bunnies, but it's kind of cool. Mm. Mm-hmm. So now we get to our portrait of Jag, which I think is the coolest one. Because it's a really cool portrait. Any of the images with Jughead with his actual crown is cool in my book because I just love it because it reminds me of the comic and, you know, Cole with the curly Q ringlet in front of his face. It's just fun. I'm here for it. It's a portrait of a young writer caught between fact and fiction, memory and madness, truth and trauma. Okay. Minerva just like interpret it for me. <laughs> Let's just say it's about the stories we tell ourselves to survive and about addiction. <laughs> Just tag that one just on. Tag, just tag that in on. But yeah, sure. I hate the way they write both of them. It's so it's so bad, and it only gets worse. Like the last scene is the worst. I just Cheryl could have been such a cool character. Mm. They have a really good actress. That's true of so many characters. I know, and just the way that they wrote her just mm-hmm. tanked any possibility of that. Dalton Doily, even Chuck. Could have been cool. We could have had a really cool like redemption arc with him. Like we could have had so much cool shit. Yeah. <sighs> so we cut to an AA meeting with Forsyth Pendleton Jones the third, and I love that Jughead is going by Forsyth here. He's not Jughead here. I feel like that is another hint that I'm an adult because he's doing a very adult thing. It's it's also the thing Joe of just wanting to be perfectly honest well Jughead is the name of people who really know him as a person so there's yeah, that so too. some of it some of it is armor if you call me Forsyth you don't actually know me yeah that's actually something my dad would do he goes by his middle name so if someone calls asking for his first name he's like they don't actually know me <laughs> which I always thought was weird but kind of cool at the same time there's layers. There's a lot of layers for him using that. But I, I like it because it's so it's subtle, but it's smart at the same time, because this is someone who we never call him Forsyth. Just like FP would never go by Forsyth, but he's <laughs> FP. Like, I like it. So he's, you know, talking about being in that. He's like, um, not as a teacher, but as an alcoholic. Um, it's weird to be in this space. So like, it seems like they're at the high school. So we don't know when this is actually happening. It becomes clear once he finally tells the story, but at first we have no clue when this is in time. Yeah. By the end of the story, it's very clear that all of this has happened. Every bit of this has happened. Now he's back in Riverdale and he's going to an AA meeting. Yes, but it's he's going to share. You know, like when I left Riverdale High School, I joined the Iowa Writers Workshop and I thought it was going to be an escape, but it was actually really boring. And so we see him in Iowa. I love the pictures of corn on the wall. Pictures of cornfields, wheat fields. <laughs> it's great. So uh, he says he's focused on his craft, the origins of storytelling, stuff like Greek myths, Dostoyevsky, and the Sopranos. <laughs> totally fair. And every afternoon at dusk, I'd uh, segue from coffee to whiskey, and I'd start writing. And uh, that's how he wrote a few chapters, and he sent them to hundreds of agents, and then one came back from Sam Pansky and uh, he took him up on his offer to to meet him when he was in New York and so then we cut to being in Sam's office and Sam gives him a bottle of booze and it's just like oh this is you know for uh, my client and he's like oh I have an agent now yeah you welcome to the Sam Pansky family if I know whiskey well that's a very nice bottle of whiskey he hands over yeah well, of course I wouldn't cheap out on the whiskey part of this mm-hmm so then we cut to Jughead's back at Iowa and he's on the phone with Betty. He's like, hey, uh, I, you know, I'm surprised you picked up. And Betty's like, oh, my roommate has some company over, so I'm just killing time. <laughs> and uh, he's just like, oh, I got an agent. He signed me up for reading like two chapters of my new novel. And he's like, that's so great, Jug. Please tell me your Iowa friends are taking you out for a celebratory drink. And Jughead is just looking around at his empty room being like, yeah, they are. It's clear he has no friends there. No. He has none. Mm-mm. But again, that makes so, so think about the jughead we met in season one. He had no friends. No. <laughs> he he had the people he knew, but he had no friends. Even Betty wasn't really his friend. He talked to no one. He lived under the stairs at school. He had no one in season one. So then we go to Jughead's New York City apartment and 
we see, you know, okay, he's got a ton of writer's block now. There's a pile of, you know, thrown paper. And we get some more narr- narration. Luckily, my girlfriend, Jessica, knew where to score some maple mushrooms. Cool. I was tripping on shrooms and it just felt like the doors of my mind swung open. I wrote pages that night from that crazy raw first draft came The Outcasts. So then we cut to Sam's office again and okay, they talk about, okay, this is going to be great. It's going to be why I hit and that means a lot of money. And uh, then we just see a lot of Jughead. He keeps checking his phone and he's talking about it being a whirlwind, but he just kept drinking more. And even though Jess moved in, he was still holding on to the past, more specifically my ex. I do love that he goes in and Sam's like, it's going to be a monster YA hit. And Jug's like, oh, <laughs> like at first he's just like, oh, wait, that's not what I thought I was writing. <laughs> yeah. But then when when Sam says, no, that means a lot of money. It's like, oh, yes. No, we want this. We want a lot of money. Sure. YA. Absolutely. <laughs> I usually make it into movies. So, yeah. Yeah. So then. We see Jughead just text her about the party and she texts back that, yeah, I'll, I'll try. Of course I'll make it. And, but when we see that Betty is in a bedroom with someone sleeping next to her. Uh huh. My other theory is that that person is one of these TPK killers. If not the actual TBK killer, one of the family members. Possible. Very possible. Cause I don't think that's Glenn. I think it's too much of a trope for Glenn to be the trash bag killer. I think the thing that's going to happen with Glenn is that you were following Betty so closely. You didn't see this. Like you're bad at your job too, dude. Yeah. I think, I think that's what's going to come of that, which I'm fine with, or he'll end up dead. I'm fine with either of those things. So then we, we cut back to Jughead and he's like, uh, spoiler alert. The night of my book release was not great. <laughs> it quickly began to derail after I got a call from Betty saying that she wasn't going to be able to make it to my book release after all. And stumbling in the general direction of my party, I called Betty and left her just this crazy, super toxic voicemail. And so then we see him leaving the voicemail that we heard two episodes ago, which I did hear. That based on Cole's performance in this episode, Arias had him re-record the phone call, the actual voicemail that was used in the previous episode so that it would match better. See, to me, they didn't match at all. I think they actually do match pretty well because because the thing is, they, they shouldn't match exactly because one is what he actually left. This one is how Jughead remembers and feels about what he left. Well, that's true. So the words are the same. It's the inflection and the the emphasis is different. Yeah. So I I am fine with them being different because their purposes in how we hear them is completely different. Yeah. Like think 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 about the song Coco. <laughs> Remember me from Coco. Same words. You sing them differently, they take on completely different meaning. I will say, though, Cole, not good at the fake drunk. Not great at the fake drunk. The fake drunk rage? No, if it was just rage, it'd be fine. Because he he plays it off as like being self-righteous and indignant, and he can't do that and be drunk at the same time. And then just literally stumbles around for five minutes, which is like, that's not how you would stumble. (laughs) Yeah, he made the mistake of acting drunk instead of acting lost. Uh, yeah that's one of my favorite acting notes it's like if you play try to play drunk you're dead in the water you cannot play drunk very few people can actively play drunk you have to pick the thing about being drunk that you're going to be yes and that's what cole did he acted drunk instead of playing what does jughead look like when he's drunk oh he's really he's really uh he's off balance or he's lost. Like my favorite is the I'm searching for something, but I don't know what it is I'm searching for. <laughs> that's my go to because that's also what I tend to do when I am really drunk and still standing. Uh, <laughs> that's that's the party day in a way. So he leaves this horrible message and he goes down an alley and then I vanished. I was swallowed up by the dark. OK, which is AA people are like, is that a metaphor? <laughs> <laughs> Jughead says, no, I wish. <laughs> and so then we see this whole thing about him 
having woken up in the hospital and just telling him that he was on a, had been on a bender for a couple of days and he had hoped that this would mean a new start for him and Jess, but it really didn't. And then he got a call from his good friend, Archie Andrews. And we kind of see the replay of that happening from that first time jump episode, you know, and then I moved to Riverdale, but something was still gnawing at me and my sanity. And I was still drinking heavily. So then after that, I hit rock bottom on Skid Row, no less. And so we see that happen because we see the pieces of Jughead drinking throughout his time here, which I do like that they've been having that go on because they had a they had great flashback things to pull from. Yeah. So Jughead continues. I needed to go back to New York and try to figure out what happened to me the night of my book release. So he goes to the hospital. He gets his records and he finds out he was treated for rabies exposure. Okay. <laughs> Because he had been yelling about a rat king. He goes, ask Jessica about it. And he's like, huh, what? To which the people at AA are like, I'm sorry, what? And he's like, yeah, let me explain. I, I know this doesn't make sense yet. So basically Jughead fell down a sinkhole, which is rare, but it happens. Which also, again, this is stupid. He should have just fallen down a grate. Uh, like, which which happened? Or in the, he went down in the subway and decided to walk the tracks, which people do, and it's dangerous, but people fucking do it. Like that would have been way make made more sense and been totally believable because all this is bullshit. And so he goes down to this area and he met the Rat King, and the Rat King is being played by the same guy who plays Sam Pansky, but he's dressed just like the painting that Cheryl did of Jughead as the king. But then that's the Rat King, and Jughead's there, and he's reading to him from his book. And it's great. And the Rat King's like, okay, I'll come back for more. And then Jughead sees Betty. And Betty's there being like, you got to wake up. The city floods the the sewers once every two weeks. It's going to happen any minute. You need to go. Otherwise, you're going to drown. And so he goes. And Jughead says, you know, Betty saved me in my darkness. Like she has so many times before. And it's just so convoluted and stupid. So thinking about this, one, the Rat King thing. It was very much a ripoff of the Fisher King. Yes, 100%. And not effective at all? No, none. Because that movie's fucking incredible. Uh-huh. I think if we had a much smaller scene with the Rat King, because he's clearly imagining all of this. Sure. And then we explained what the fuck happened with the Betty moment, because he didn't. So here's here's what should have happened. He should have gone down. I'm fine with him going down to the sewers again. That's fine. He should have been sick, running a fever, has an infection. And what should have happened was when he was on Skid Row, having the same thing happen to him, he should have been flashing back to this. Been like, I've literally been here before. I've done this before, but I have no idea. And then we see this thing. And he can have imagined, you know, the Rat King, the Fisher King. And that would have been fine. Yeah. Because that's how Jughead's processing something. Again, I'm fine with that. But that needed to be part of what incited Jughead to go. Being like, I'm literally here dealing with the same thing. I know I've done this before. That was how long ago? Oh, turns out that was only a year ago. My life sucks. Well, and what I also needed here mm -hmm. was to find out that Betty was actually like, a sanitation worker or a police officer like just some blonde lady who found him somebody who's like we got a report that somebody came down here and i came to find you and now we're taking you to the hospital you have to get out of here they flood the thing because they didn't explain that and then it there's just no reason other than we need to shoehorn that in because we're bringing up a story point exactly they did not thread the detail through enough mm -hmm. even just in this episode to make it plausible exactly that's the problem and they built it up to be this mystery of him having lost time and it's like this is a bad thing that happened to you but this doesn't make sense for you hallucinating mothmen and having this unlock this trauma that's super locked up like this is how you're dealing with something else. Like it just, you're right. It just, it's not threaded together in a way that is plausible or interesting. The only thing I would say to that is that the trauma is this long building up of 
I left everything I cared about mm-hmm. to go do this thing that I thought was supposed to be the big thing for me. Mm-hmm. And now my life feels like it's out of control. That trauma is there. But we again, you're right. We didn't push that through at all. Well, no, they they give it here in Jughead's monologue what they're actually going for. Yeah. But the substance doesn't match this. And what, what they have them say is, you know, the worst part is that that whole event just made me realize how alone I was. Yeah. Like that night was supposed to be one of my greatest triumph. And I was in a dark hole, literally and existentially. <laughs> and like no one missed me at all. And that's what I'm dealing with now. Just the wreckage of my life. One step is to get my drinking under control. And that's why I'm here. That makes total sense. Like that's the realization that Jughead came out of from having been like, what am I not dealing with? Oh, I was just on Skid Row. I know I lost some days. Let me go find out. Oh, I did this exact same fucking thing not too long ago on what was supposed to be the best night of my life, which I know I'm angry about, but I don't remember why. Oh, I figured it out. This is why I'm so upset. I had great friends. I'm not over my ex. She was so important to me and I just can't let it go. I feel completely abandoned. I feel completely alone, which Jughead has legit been abandoned. Yes. Like Betty didn't abandon him. I'm not putting that. In. And you know what? He can be pissed at Betty. She didn't cheat on him. She kissed someone else. She was kind of having an emotional affair for a moment, but she didn't like just straight up leave him. He shut down because of all of the other abandonment he'd been through. That caused him to shut down. And then yeah. Betty in turn shut down. So the relationship completely dissolved until they both left. Yeah. Which makes total sense. But it like, happens. It, like <laughs> it does. His mom left him. His dad left him multiple times. So, yeah, this makes total sense. I'm fine with all of that. And I'm fine with this, this being his conclusion. And I do appreciate that part of it is like, my first step to dealing with all of this is I have to get the drinking thing under control. Clearly. Which is great. It also plays into the fact that his dad was an alcoholic as well, too. Makes total sense. So I'm good with all of that. It's just the substance was garbage. And the way they did it, for sure. Yeah. No, no, I'm not into it. I did like that the same guy playing Sam Pansky played the, the Rat King. I thought that was nice. Makes a lot of sense. That made a lot of sense to me. And then we have this final scene at Thornhill and Minerva is just really excited about this. Cheryl's just like, oh, I have one more piece. And it's Psyche revived by Cupid's kiss. And it's painted to be Minerva and Cheryl. And Minerva's just like, okay, the last time I was here, Nana suggested sacrificing me to an eldritch terror. And I do love that she's saying this because this actress, Adeline Rudolph, was on Chilling Adventures of Sabrina. And she was sacrificed to an eldritch terror in that show. So this is a cheeky in-world thing. I'm fine with that to a degree. And she was like, do you feel nothing, Min Min? Okay, but I I do love her line delivery because she drops all pretense when she says it. And is just like, okay, do you feel nothing, Min Min? Like, was this a waste of my time? (laughs) And so like, she's leaving on an art buying trip to South Africa in the morning well, that still leaves tonight, doesn't it? Yes. And so then they embrace. And it's just like, this is so, like, you have no chemistry. None. It's great. <laughs> I mean, whatever. At least Cheryl got some in the end. <laughs> That's fair. But, like, Min Min's going to end up dead. Is she going to be sacrificed to the goddess? Like, I don't know. Riverdale. Yeah. I, I just, yeah, I don't know. I think talking about it made me not hate the Jughead storyline as much, but I do agree that they didn't connect those dots as thoroughly as they could have to make it really punch. They just made it so fantastical and they didn't need to. And they could have made his hallucination fantastical, but then you'd be like, here's what was actually happening because they did that with Archie. They had Archie hallucinating things that weren't actually there Like he was hallucinating the Mothman. He was hallucinating the soldiers, but they grounded it in what was actually happening. And they also grounded it against his actual lived experiences. And they could have done that with Jughead, but they didn't bother. Well, and the thing we didn't talk about is the fact that, you know, what was really happening was he was covered in rats. He was covered in rats. Which is like, that probably didn't need, it didn't need to be that extreme. It could have been that he was seeing rats or that there was a rat nest. Oh, yeah. 
like that would that would mean so much more because he's like losing it and he's just seeing this little rat nest that's up in that area. No. I don't know. No, we didn't we didn't need any of that. They added that level to the actual explanation, mm-hmm. which is just ridiculous when you've already made it so fantastical to begin with. Yeah. Yeah. Once again, snatching defeat from the jaws of victory is Riverdale. Mm. All right. Well, let's go watch our next time on. I think that's a great idea. episode 15 the return of the pussycats oh and it's all of them not just josie which uh we haven't seen the other pussycats since season two (laughs) so yeah josie's coming back which is kind of cool apparently veronica is going to be talking to her friend alexandra cabot which if you know anything about the pussycats world the cabots are the record label people Okay. Uh, and, All right. You know, if you haven't watched the amazing 2001 movie, you need to. We we have an episode out about it. We did cover it about three years ago for this show, and I think we also released it in our Macintosh and Mod haven't seen what movie podcast stream. Hmm. So yeah, maybe maybe perhaps I need to drop that as a as a little reminder. Maybe, yeah, like just throw that up here before the new episode. If you need extra Riverdale content, there there you go. It's it's super fun. I'm glad that we're going to address Josie and because she is Kevin's sister. Uh, yeah. And she was in the Katie Keene show that got axed. So like we saw where she was supposed to go five years. So this is two years after that. So great. I love that we're getting the other pussycats because they never got a story. And to be fair, Everyone agreed. Nobody thought Katie Keene was a good idea. It should have been Josie and the Pussycats. And then all three of them could have had a show. Ashley Murray could totally carry a show herself. She's got the talent. So I I appreciate that they're coming back. Next episode is also being directed by Robin Givens. Hey. Mayor McCoy or Attorney McCoy. (laughs) So we might actually get to see her with uh, Sheriff Keller again, which would be kind of fun to kind of be like, are they still together? Because, of course, we haven't seen her in a long time. What, what happened in seven years? <laughs> I hope so. I, I just want Tom to be happy. So, uh, so that's cool. It's also supposed to be the return of Vanessa Morgan as Tony Topaz. And we'll also get the return of Sweet Pea, Jordan O'Connor, uh, which will be great. So uh, there's gonna, there, looks, there, there appears to be some Josie and Sweet Pea smooching, which I'm all here for. <laughs> I, was, I still that I still that scene with them where Sweet Pea is just like once more and Josie's like nope I love it it's so great I just the only issue I have is are we gonna talk about anything else going on <laughs> we just dropped a whole lot of bombs in this episode and then we're gonna go straight into Josie that is the Riverdale way let's be honest you know what's gonna happen is Josie's gonna come. And she's going to remind these people who they are so they can set them on the right path. Yes, I mean, that's that's what I'm at least at least at the very least. That's what's going to happen with Archie. Yeah, Archie needs he needs another person to say something to him. He needs a touchstone like he needs something to ground him back to what he's trying to do there. And Josie's a person from the past who knew him, but he doesn't have baggage with. Because Betty and Veronica do, but he has a ton of baggage with them. He dated Josie for like half a second. For half a second. They had a good time. And then it was like, this is over. Okay, cool. It was the healthiest relationship he's ever had. It was the healthiest relationship <laughs> they, like he had ever had. It was age appropriate. It was consensual. It was, it broke up in a way that was like, yeah, we're just, like we're done cool bye (laughs) like (laughs) fine like that's that's great so i hope that's it and also i'm not gonna be mad if they hook up because again they're adults it's consensual have a good time (laughs) like whatever (laughs) so uh yeah i mean that is the fun thing about them being adults now is that i'm way more hook up hook up hook up veronica and reggie needed to bone (laughs) that's 
That just needs to happen. Everybody bone everybody. <laughs> That's already happened, but let's do it in a healthy, productive way. Yes. <laughs> An emotionally <laughs> supportive way. <laughs> Sweet, wonderful, tender, emotionally satisfying boning for everyone. Just emotionally, emotionally satisfying boning for everybody. <laughs> so until next time. Hashtag Bulldogs Forever. Thanks for listening. Be sure to review and rate us on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you listen to your podcast. For questions, comments, and recommendations, you can email us at macintoshandmod at gmail.com or find us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook.